Dear God, we say thank you for another day, Lord. We say, Jesus, we come before you, Lord. Only you alone, Jesus, we need. We say, have mercy, Lord, and forgive us our sins. We say, God, only you alone are good, God. We just lay our burdens before you. We humble ourselves before you, God. We say, thank you, God. We say, thank you, Jesus. We say, we pray that you straighten up the roads, Lord. And you rock your rope, smoothly us for us. We say, Jesus, we pray for our sick, Lord. Into your hands we commend them, Jesus. You are the divine physician, God. We say, bless them, Lord. Bless their soul, Jesus. Care for them, Lord. And all you do, you do it because you love us. We say, thank you, Jesus. We open our hearts to you now as we receive your message, Lord. Have mercy on us, Jesus. But these are many blessings we ask in your name and all God's people say. Amen. Well, I would like to add my welcome to everyone else's this morning. It's so great to have you all here with us this morning in this house of prayer for all nations. It is a safe place where strangers become friends and friends become family. My name is Pastor Jim Olson, and I have the honor of serving here at Bethel. In my 25th year, I'll be celebrating my 25th anniversary next year uh, as the senior pastor here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. 29 years ago, when I was ordained, let me see, nope, 27 years ago, it was uh, 1987, October, and I remember it well because it was the seventh game of the World Series with the Twins in the World Series. So we had a lot of hallelujah hankies. I think they were towels, home run hankies, you know, but uh, waving in the congregation. But with my uncle who was there with a transistor radio, this was the old days, with a little cord up into his uh, ear listening to the game while the service was going on. But my pastor at the time, Pastor Lloyd Jacobson, who was serving at that time as the senior pastor here at Bethel, at my ordination, gave me this exhortation. And the exhortation was out of the book of Acts, and that was to preach the full counsel of God. So over the last 30 years now of ministry, in fact, this Sunday would actually mark my 30th anniversary pastoring, this very Sunday. All right, thank you, Dr. Rauner. Keep going, he said. Not done yet, no. But I have endeavored to follow that commission that was given to me by Pastor Lloyd. So most of the time in my preaching over the last 30 years, I have done expository preaching through various books of the Bible. And it's amazing, after 25 years, there's still so many left to share. But for these last couple of months, we've been looking at the book of James, practical wisdom from James. And this morning, as we continue to walk through this study, we come to a passage of scripture which I've never preached before, and perhaps given my own inclinations, I would, in my own thoughts, perhaps avoid preaching. But this is the beauty of expository preaching because it brings you to passages that you sometimes would shy back from. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the perils of riches. 
And specifically, we're going to be looking in James chapter 5, the first five verses. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn there. James chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible located either next to you, in front of you, behind you, somewhere. But it would be helpful for you to have the text in front of you this morning as we unpack it together in our remaining moments. I'm profoundly aware of the internal dissonance standing here as an American. We hear about the 1%. Well, we're living in America. We are the 1%. As far as the world, from the perspective of the world, we are the 1%. We're here in this house of prayer for all nations with people who've come from many lands, and I'm aware of the struggles and the challenges that all of us face, and it feels like it's so difficult to even make ends meet. It would be very simple for all of us to sort of, um, you know, think, well, this is a really good message for the people who are sitting somewhere else in the sanctuary, but this really doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. But before we dismiss the word this morning that quickly, could we allow it simply to sit with us for a bit? And perhaps let the Spirit of God reveal some things and perhaps some attitudes that we hold in our hearts, even unconsciously, that perhaps the Word of God today might help address And bring about transformation. Because remember, the word of God is not simply here to give us information. Jesus is after a whole lot more than that. He is after the transformation of our lives. And not only that, he is after the transformation of society. He is after, he has come to reconcile all things to himself. Things in heaven and on earth. All principalities and powers including mammon. Well, let's look at our text this morning, James chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people. He begins with a very, it's kind of like he walks up to his readers and, and, and perhaps and it, there's some disputation about whether he's, this, this is speaking to the people he's writing to or he's speaking to sort of rich oppressors who are outside of the church. But again, I don't want to dismiss us too quickly. I want us to hear his now listen. So he comes up and he grabs hold of us in our lapels and he says, Listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. How you doing? Now listen carefully to what he says. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look! The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. 
The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Whew. Jesus, have mercy. In those days, wealth consisted of grain, garments, and gold. Your grain, your garments, and your gold. And right up top, James goes after all of them. Your wealth, your grain has rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, and your gold and silver are corroded. Why? What are the accusations that he makes here against the rich? Four things. The first is this. Hoarding wealth. Come back to the text. What does it say? Verse 3. You have hoarded wealth. In the last days, now the last days there is very important in our understanding because James and the writers of the New Testament were consistent in their understanding. And we must, it's very difficult 2,000 years later for us sometimes to get ourselves reoriented around this reality. But people of God, though we don't know when Jesus is coming, we can say with assurance with the New Testament writers that we indeed are living in the last days. And he's saying your perspective is distorted. Because you are not recognizing the reality that you are not living for this time here. You are living for the last days. Jesus Put it this way in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think we need to sit with that over and over again. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. Recently, I was helping an elderly friend move. And I was struck by something as I walked alongside of them through that process. Their house was filled with stuff. And they were moving into a one-bedroom small apartment an assisted living just north of of here and this person's family was there and they were trying to to help them figure out what to bring and what not to bring and as god is my witness 
over and over and over again, things would come out that really needed to go or to be passed on. And over and over again, this friend would say, well, I got to have that. Oh, I got to have that. So they rented a storage room for her where they live so that she could have all of the gotta have things piled up in piles somewhere there because she could not let them go. And before we condemn that person for their hoarding, could we look at our own hearts and say, God, what are the things that I'm hanging on to that I don't want to let go of? I think probably inside of all of us is just a little bit of a hoarder. But if that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Dishonest exploitation. Malachi 3. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers adulterers and perjurers and against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice but do not fear me says the Lord Almighty the wealthy had workers working their fields doing their things for them caring for their wealth but they were not willing to release the wages that, they had, that these workers had earned. And so there was this dishonest exploitation of the rich to the poor. And again, before we say, well, that's not me, could we please at least recognize that we live in a very imperfect economic system? that in fact does dishonestly exploit the poor. And I'm not here with solutions to all of those answers today. I, I, I'm here as a pastor to simply awaken our hearts to the reality that around us there is dishonest exploitation happening. And God will judge us according to how we treat those who are powerless and vulnerable. And the widow and the orphan and the alien among us. You all right? Let me remind you, before the sword passes out of my mouth, it passes through my own heart first. self-indulgence. Now you're meddling, Pastor. Well, I'm meddling with me. There was a rich man, Jesus tells this story in Luke 16, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. But Abraham replied, Son, 
remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. One day a wealthy unbeliever was speaking of his friend, a poor Christian, and he said, when I die, I shall leave my riches. When he dies, he will go to his. When I die, I will leave my riches. When he dies, he will go to his. Our self-indulgence, what does it say? You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. We live in the most luxurious land in the world that the world has ever known. They're doing this thing in our neighborhood right now. Flipping houses, so they're taking these little two-bedroom, one-bath things, and uh, bungalows, and turning them in. So they've turned a a neighbor house into a five-bedroom, five-bath, three-car garage house on a lot that's the size of a postage stamp, okay? So, now I was talking to the realtor, and he was talking about people's desire for this, and he was talking about a family that had come to look at this house and decided not to get it because the theater room downstairs, the theater room in the basement, the ceiling was six inches too short to fit the, the, the screen that he had for the theater room. Now, it's sort of easy to look at that and go, wow, okay. But where in our own lives? Injustice. Whoo, now let's hear a little bit of Amos. He's got our number. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain, Therefore, though they have built stone, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. The, there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. That's what James was going after here when he says, "You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you." He's speaking of injustice. And I don't know how we can live in our country and not, at least at some level, wrestle with the reality that we have a generation of young African-American men who are growing up imprisoned. Pastor Patty was just telling us about his ministry with Prison Fellowship and his ministry among these young men who have no hope and who are just ground up in the system over and over and over again because there's nothing for them outside. And we, you know, and, and we've got, I'm sorry, but we've got rich Majority culture thieves (laughs) who are pillaging millions of dollars and because of their wealth and because of their capacities and abilities able to avoid the consequences and responsibilities for what they do. Something is unjust in our system. Okay? That's not... A political statement, that's just a, that's just a, a reality check for us. 
Okay? I don't have answers to all of these things, but somehow we've got to sit with it and wrestle with it. That's part of growing maturity. Growing maturity is, is being uncomfortable with things that make us uncomfortable, sitting with things that make us uncomfortable. All right. Earlier in James, he gave us kind of the, the perspective that will help us with antidotes, and we're going to run quickly to the end now. So he says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So if you are in humble position this morning, take pride in the reality of that. And the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way. The rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So the poor... And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. And now let the strong say, I am weak. And let the rich say, I am poor. So there's this humility that we are invited into that becomes sort of the antidote for our accusations. That humility that we have, that we found. Um, this is not the right. Uh, this is not the right. Um, this is not the right. I'm sorry, I don't have the right one up there. Okay, so, but you're going to walk with me, okay? So we're going to we're going to take a journey now in our spirit to walk through. First of all, what was our first accusation? Can anybody, who took notes, can tell me what was the first accusation against the rich? What was it? Hoarding wealth. So if we're going to solve this issue, we're going to need to make a movement, a journey in our heart from hoarding to kingdom investing. From hoarding to kingdom investing. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Listen to this phrase. To be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Look at that middle part. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. So one of the primary ways of reorienting our hearts away from the peril of wealth is to discover the joy of being rich in good deeds and giving things away. I have another friend who is transitioning to 
a smaller place. And she talks about taking delight in taking her things. She says, like, I have this pair of goblets that were very precious to her, but she felt God say, give them away. And she was living in a building with a lot of younger people, and she, she put them in a, with a ribbon and with a card, and she put them down in the common area and said, free to who could use them. And she imagined being able, that some young couple would take that and begin to find and, and use that for, for their marriage, you know, development and growth. And she, she was finding ways of taking the, the things that she had and giving them in a way that invested them into the lives of others. I love that. That's moving from hoarding to kingdom investing. Secondly, from exploitation to equity. Instead of exploiting these workers, there's equity. In 2 Corinthians, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. I want to commend you as a body. I believe that we are living this out. I remember when our Corinne congregation came to us. I remember sitting back in the music room and we were talking as leaders and they were talking about coming into the family of churches and they told me this, we don't have anything to bring. Because they looked at us and said, you have the, you have the, the, the building, you have the, the, the finances, you have the, you have, you know, you have everything that you need. We don't have anything. And I said, well, here's what you do have. And here's what you can help us understand. You can help us understand community. And you can under- help us understand faith. And you can help us understand persevering under trial. You have so much to give to us. So it sometimes looks different, but there's an equality. So let me speak to us as a congregation and say, yes, as we host congregations here and as we do this work, we may look at ourselves and say, look at all that we're doing for them. But we're not. It's look at all that God is doing in us and all that they are giving to us and all that we are giving to one another. It's not about that one of us might be pressed, that the other might have abundance, but it's together we might have equity and equality in the Lord. Amen? Is that all right? I love you, congregation, for the way we are living this out. Let's continue in that more and more to be a witness to the world. From self-indulgence to generosity. We already talked about this a bit. Let's press it out one more moment. And now, brothers and sisters, we want to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Chris Vanderkoy has been pressing us in a beautiful way over and over and over again about this as God has pressed his own heart around this. It's not about how much we can keep. It's not about the one at the end who has the most toys wins. It's the one who is rich in friendship through giving and through generosity and pouring out even out of our poverty to give. When Annette and I started out, we had nothing. Literally, nothing. But God spoke to us about generosity, and we have continued to seek to live by that in an imperfect way, for sure. In an 
in, in, in a way that could continue to grow and we seek to continue to grow. But God calls us out of self-indulgence to generosity. And finally, from injustice to justice. Last slide. Here it is. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos thunders at us. God is interested in justice, in shalom. And when we see injustice, people of God, our hearts should break. And God would call us to do what we can in our small place, to lift up our voice, that righteousness might come like a stream to the desert places, in Africa, in Asia, in South America, in Europe, in America, all over the world. I want to close with this story. Jesus' invitation. Come to Luke 18. We are done here. Luke 18. Listen carefully. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, those of you that are alert, Jesus just recited to him the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. The first is about our relationship with God. The second is about our relationship with other people. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Five of the six he had said, I keep. What was the one that he doesn't, that Jesus didn't say here? Do not covet. So when Jesus heard this, he said to them, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Oh, Jesus goes right to the heart. Because the heart was covetousness. He kept everything else but the heart. Where his treasure is, there was his heart. Jesus says, give away your treasure and you'll have a new treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, I love this, with what is impossible with men is possible with God. (laughs) There's the good news, people. There's the gospel at the end of the day. There's the gospel. It's possible with God because of what Jesus has done. It is possible to make this journey out of the perils of riches. And Peter said to him, we've left all we had. I love Peter. You know, he's always got his foot. He's always got his mouth out there. And sometimes his foot in his mouth. But we've left everything to follow you. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. I want to close with this story. To encourage your heart, Pastor Sam shared this with our leader in training apprentices a couple weeks ago. And I didn't know this story. It's the story of the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I don't know if anybody else knew this. I didn't. That the lyrics are based on the last words of a man in Assam in northeast India. 
who along with his family was converted to Christianity in the middle of the 19th century through the efforts of a Welsh missionary. Called to renounce his faith by the village chief, the convert declared, I have decided to follow Jesus. In response to threats to his family, he continued, Though none, no one joins me, still I will follow. His wife was killed, and he was executed while singing. The cross before me, the world behind me. And this display of faith is reported to have led to the conversion of the chief and others in the village. The formation of these words into a hymn is attributed to the Indian missionary, Sadhu Sundar Singh. And the melody is also Indian. So I want you to put that in context with what we just heard. And Jesus' invitation to us there in Luke 18. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Come on, take your hands and open them as we receive the benediction of the Lord today. Jesus, would you help us? I feel like the frog in the kettle with the heat getting turned up and we don't realize. It's so hard in our context, God. To even hear your word clearly in this area. So we just say, Son of David, have mercy on us and help us. Please help us. That we might live our lives as a prophetic witness to this world around us. Of a different reality, of a different economy, of a kingdom culture and a kingdom economy. That transcends and transforms this world's culture and economy. And now with hands open, I pray that you may be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father and with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this home or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your lives. I bless you, people of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.